Welcome to the Scaling Tech Podcast, where we help you manage your growing engineering team. Through expert interviews, we help you navigate the challenges of leading, hiring, growing, and nurturing your tech team to deliver the value your customers demand. Brought to you by agilityfeet.com, experts in staffing engineering teams in Latin America for clients globally. I think that every aspect of an offsite should be looking to create deeper connections between individuals. And sometimes that happens through fun and sometimes that happens through sessions. Um, how it doesn't happen is when session after session is just sort of a presentation, a presentation, a presentation with a, any questions, uh, you know, the 10 minutes for any questions at the end. Um, but I think that, you know, you can design business sessions, um, you know, alignment sessions, et cetera, in ways that are really engaging, in ways that encourage small group discussion, large group discussion, a whole bunch of different uh, modalities and ways to sort of get folks talking. And all of those create deeper connections. You don't just have to be like having fun. And I mean, those sessions can be fun. I've done like, I've done some sessions about communication or alignment or whatever that have been very fun. Um, but yeah, I think that those are sort of the main, the main components of the Welcome to the Scaling Tech Podcast, the podcast for leaders of growing software engineering teams. I'm Aaron Sun here with my co-host, David Alfaro. David, uh, today we're going to talk about engineering team health and offsites. You and I have done a lot of team offsites together with our engineering teams over the last decade. What's your favorite memory from one of those experiences? Well, first I want to say that when when we do offsites, we are we go with an agenda. I mean, we, we go with specific goals to achieve. So so we have a structure activities and unstructured activities. The structure activities, I mean, definitely go fantastic. Uh, and we achieve what we want. Uh, but I have to admit that what what I keep in my memory are the unstructured activities, uh, to mm -hmm. be clear when we go for drinks. <laughs> so I, I, I remember when we went to, uh, uh, to drink caipirinhas in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and then we went to escape room yeah, with our yeah. people. That was, we, 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 were, we were able to escape in the last second uh, the room. <laughs> right. So that was fantastic. Uh, and, and I was able to see different skills in all of them. Different yeah. skills. Uh, the escape room was a great idea, fantastic idea. And then um, we had to have some survival skills in the wilderness in Costa Rica, uh -huh. uh, <laughs> surviving and really, really fighting for our lives <laughs> <laughs> in the mountains in Costa Rica was was fantastic. It was a, a, a week long activity, and that was great. That was great. It was a, a great memory of mine. Yeah, yeah. Early in our time working together, uh, there were times when we would get together for like an offsite in Costa Rica with our team. And I remember uh, those those initial ones you always organized and and I would ask, you know, so what are we going to do? And you would just say, trust me, trust me, you're going to have a great time. <laughs> and usually and, and I, I always survived, though. So that was right. great. Uh, but yeah, I've had so many great memories of our, our various team trips. Uh, sometimes it's just our team. Sometimes it's with clients. Uh, I think my favorite memory, though, was when we went to Argentina uh, mm. and one of our Argentinian colleagues organized a uh, soccer game, a football game. Mm. Uh, and we had team members from uh, U.S., Costa Rica, Argentina, El Salvador, Nicaragua, you know, mm -hmm. other countries probably too. Um, and um, we had a great time. It was uh, in, in the city in Buenos Aires. We rented this field, had a wonderful time. I think not everyone enjoyed it. Our, our graphic designer, Danny Phillips, I did a little bit of an aggressive slide tackle on him in that game. And every now and then he reminds me of that. But but I still have a lot of fond memories and I don't think he has any permanent injuries from it. But <laughs> sorry, anyways, Danny. Right. Uh, but in addition, because I'm a, I'm a big uh, soccer fan, uh, how special it was just to play 
a soccer game in Argentina. It was even more special for me because I had both of my sons with me on that trip. And so I got to play with my sons in Argentina with real Argentinians who were much better <laughs> at it than us. But, but it was such just an amazing, you know, cultural sure. and team bonding experience. And uh, uh, yeah, fond memory. That's a photo that every now and then, uh, you know, shows up in, in, uh, in my phone and really fond memories of that. And, uh, but it, it, there, there is a lot into planning an effective team offsite. And that's one of the main topics we discussed today with Allison McMillan. And I really enjoyed this conversation with Alan. What did you find interesting about it to be? Allison has a dimension that is rare to find in engineering, uh, in a in a person skilled in VPN of engineering uh, is, is the, is, and, and we, we discovered early on the conversation, why she had that, the skill set, the, um, the, um, to the, I mean, she takes care of the personalities of mm -hmm. people. She takes it seriously, seriously. And she knows how to handle specific personalities when she is uh, putting together develop, I mean, engineering teams, how to uh, how to combine the specific personalities so we can, on top of the technical skills, yeah, uh, and how to take that into account when she, when you do the offsites, how to take into account each person personality, um, that. That dimension is 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 fantastic. I think is it was a a very fun conversation. I really enjoyed uh, talking with someone that don't understand. And sometimes you are in, uh, an introvert, <laughs> so it is it was great. So it, good stuff. Uh, uh, a lot of science in this, and and drivelling comments from uh, someone that has a, a very strong experience doing engineering. Yeah, it was a really great conversation. So without further ado, let's get to our interview with Allison McMillan. Allison McMillan is an engineering leadership consultant providing a variety of services, including fractional VP of engineering work, crafting highly effective team offsites, and evaluating engineering team health. Prior to her work leading engineering at Forum and Quotapath, Allison led GitHub's coding department as director of engineering. While at GitHub, she helped lead the launch of GitHub's CodeSpaces product, as well as work on other products such as Atom, repositories, and pull requests. Allison is also a former startup founder, an active member of the tech community, and has spoken at conferences around the world, including RubyConf, LeadDev, and JSConfEU. You can learn more about her at allisonmcmillan.com. Welcome to the Scaling Tech Podcast, Allison. Hi, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, it's wonderful to have you here. Uh, let's start with more about your background and maybe start with telling us a little bit about your time at GitHub, because probably every listener to this program you, has used GitHub and used things you work on. So uh, always interesting to hear from somebody a little bit behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Working at GitHub is great. My background, uh, I actually started my professional life. Um, I have a political science degree. I started my professional life in the nonprofit world, uh, working on, on college campuses with college students. Um, and then I switched careers into tech when I founded my startup um, because I just wanted to know more about the tech side of it and about you know, why different features or different things that I wanted to do took longer or shorter, et cetera. Um, and so that was sort of my my journey and my switch into, into tech. I was an IC for a number of years at, at a few different great companies. Um, and then, yeah, went uh, into engineering management, engineering leadership at GitHub. Um, such kind, smart, wonderful people. Uh, and it is really, really fun to work on a product and for a company where that is basically a household name in the industry. Um, so yeah, I worked in a variety of places. Like you mentioned, I was on Adam, the open source text editor. Uh, I 
Ren. I oversaw a few R&D teams that were sort of developing new products. That was a lot of fun. Um, I ran the department that housed GitHub Desktop and CLI. Um, and then ultimately, I spent a good amount of time running the coding department, which was code spaces, repositories, um, and pull requests. Each of those areas really different in sort of what they're looking for, what they're going for, how long they had been around, uh, et cetera. So yeah, lots of lots of fun working with amazing people who I am still in touch with. Can I can I ask I didn't know about you your political uh, science background. That's quite interesting. Is is there uh, no let me see how that background have influenced has influenced your uh, your work in this other side uh, as a let's say as a uh, yeah as a VP of engineering. I mean, I, I bet there are good um, crossovers there that you have seen and you've put in practice. I think. Are, are you better yeah. at managing office politics as a result? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I um I think there. Are, I think there are two, maybe three main things uh, okay. that I was really able to sort of bring bring with me. Um, the first is uh, being able to do more with less. I mean, I that's a, that's something that a lot of people are hearing, especially right now in the industry. But when you start in the nonprofit world, right, like you don't have oodles of resources and tons of sort of a you know ability to sort of do whatever. Um, and so, you know, really thinking about what are we uh, spending money on? I found that sometimes in the past, I've actually had to push myself to spend more money to like meet the meet the budget. Um, but you know, what are we spending money on? What's the impact of that? What's the is there a scrappy way? I mean, this was, you know, my startup background as well, right? Is there a scrappy way to get to um, to get to the same result? So I think, I think that's first. Um, the second thing is that I am really good at translating between technical and non-technical stakeholders, nice. which is something mm. that on a leadership team, right, when you're working cross-departmentally um, with sales and customer success and, you know, all of these different departments, um, engineering can sort of feel like a black box. It can feel like engineering is explaining something, but nobody quite understands what is being explained because mm -hmm. of the jargon being used or the, the way things are explained. And because I come from the non-technical side of the world into the technical side, I'm, uh, I'm really good at sort of translating back and forth um, and figuring out what non-technical people need to hear and how they need to hear it. And same thing with technical folks. Mm -hmm. And then I think the last piece is a large part of what I did working with college students. So we sent, um, we sent students on one of the big things that I did was we sent students on this immersion experience and we would send uh, a few hundred students every summer. And it was my responsibility and they were on buses and it was my responsibility to sort of get all of the applications, take 300, 350 students, break them onto buses of 40 students per bus. And these experiences were um, meant to be really sort of transformational, life-changing experiences. And so I got very good at figuring out very quickly. I do a 10-minute interview with each student and I figured out how the puzzle pieces of different interests, different groups of friends, different people, different personality styles, how to put a bus of 40 together in a way that every person on that bus added to not like it wasn't just their experience it was also how they were contributing to the experience of others and that is the same way that I so I got a lot of practice in sort of like how to build teams um, and how to really think about not just technical skills not just like the hard skills that people are bringing to the table but also the personalities the soft skills right how the puzzle makes everyone and everything else better as well. Um, and I did that for a number of years. And so now when I put together teams, um, mm -hmm. I feel like it really helped my skill of being able to like have a brief conversation with someone, look at a resume and not just see what's on paper, but also get it 
the potential and the understanding of how they would fit with the team that I'm trying to build. I see why you are so good at offsite planning and um, <laughs> and diagnosing teams. It's, I, I see it now. I see it now. It's clearly, yeah, good, good. And we are going to talk about that a lot. So, it's, yeah, yeah. And I imagine, uh, I think when when you were at GitHub, you led pretty rapid growth in the teams uh, there as well. So I imagine this came into play quite a bit there. I mean, how did you balance the looking at someone's sort of technical background, uh, which maybe is where we would traditionally look at most when we're constructing a team, making sure we've got all the skill sets that we need in the team, with that. <clears throat> maybe personality dynamics or personality contributions or, or you know, uh, charisma. I'm, you know, what, what were you looking for there in the balance of those non-technical skills? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a matter of sort of, again, like teams are, teams are puzzles and you're trying to put the right puzzle pieces in place so that you get that, uh, that you get that full picture. Um Right. So I think that it's a matter of, so I will say that I, I always look for three things in folks that I hire sort of across the board. Um, I look for growth mindset. So folks that are sort of excited about learning and interested in, in new things. Um, I look for folks that are kind and I look for folks that are collaborative. Those are sort of my top three now and forever. Uh, you know, that's like baseline for me. Um, you know, growth mindset, kind and and collaborative. And then beyond that, right? Like you need you need introverts, you need you need quieter, thoughtful people that are going to want to sort of like chew on a problem before offering a suggestion or an idea. You need, you know, a couple of folks that are really great at uh, at mentoring and sort of bringing people along the journey. You need folks that are really great at explaining things and breaking down concepts. You need um, somebody who sort of like brings a lot of energy and joy to the table, right? The person that like keeps slack going a little bit or that makes sure that they know what everybody did that past weekend or, you know, you need that kind of person you need. Um, you also need somebody that sort of maybe keeps that person in check and is like, Hey, that's like too much. Let's like bring the energy back a little bit sometimes, right? It's all a, it's all a, a balance. And, um, when I, even with, uh, even with tech skills, especially sort of with the R&D work or some of the new products, when I was building and hiring for those teams, the technology changes, the approach changes right at the very beginning. You never know exactly what you're looking for. And so I like to hire teams where different people can sort of step up and step back based on what the situation is, based on what's going on. And that is both technically and non-technically. Um, and also people that are comfortable with others and with themselves stepping up and stepping back, right? I think that's also really, uh, really important. And so, you know, I think that's sort of broad, but, you know, and then you're sort of looking for the, what, what fills in the gap, right? What feels like it's missing from your team. And if you know that if you added that piece, like, oh, you need somebody who pushes folks a little further on code review or who's really sort of like challenging an architectural approach, or you have a lot of that on the team and you need somebody who's like really great at just sort of like going with the flow and contributing ideas, but isn't, has maybe sort of more of a strong opinions, weekly held sort of mindset, right? You need a you need a balance of all of that on a team. Um, and it's a little bit about knowing what product you're building, knowing what areas you'll need to be flexible in and knowing uh, what you have and what you what you don't have. I think I will say this is the, I, I look at this when I do like team health audits and when I'm sort of, because I look at the team dynamics and sort of what that looks like. And sometimes I feel bad talking about it because this is the one area that I think it gets better with practice. And I think that it's hard to, I can't just outline like a list of adjectives or things and then give that to somebody and be like, make sure your team checks off all of these, you know, all of these personality types or all of these items. You just, you have to sort of like get a vibe from your team and some things are easy to tell and some things it just takes practice. 
So practice on behalf of the on, the on the part of the the team leader to see and respond to and try to balance those dynamics within the team that you're talking about, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes having other people, you know, peers or coaches or whatever sort of point out and be like, oh, did you notice this dynamic? Or like, are you seeing, because also as you learn how to find and see those dynamics, then you also get better at looking and finding them in the future yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So this really underpins everything uh, that, you know, that we're talking about today around engineering team health and offsites, you know, having this understanding of the team dynamics, uh, how, um, Maybe we can start with the offsite side of that and come back to the team health audits. How do you um, do you consciously try to encourage or uh, help a team see these aspects through the offsites? Like how how much of this factors into how you plan an offsite and the activities that you might do? Yeah, that's interesting. I it factors a lot into how I, um, into how I plan offsites. I should say I love planning offsites. It's like maybe my most favorite thing to Mm -hmm. do in the whole world. And I think that, um, people, especially engineers tend to have like very low expectations of offsites, (laughs) um, which, which they shouldn't. It's, and it's a shame. I also think that a lot of engineers, there's a lot of, um, especially for remote teams, there's a lot of anxiety that comes with offsites, right? It's frequently remote teams. You're going to a new place. You're in person with your team for a lot, you know, and it's very sort of concentrated amount of time. There's also sort of a lot of uh, anxiety around it. So I would say it for me, I think about it a lot. Um, I don't usually, I don't usually point it out to teams that I manage or like, I think that I don't think that they, the way that they feel it and understand it is sort of like, wow, this is the best team that I've ever worked on. Right. And that, that's my goal, right? My goal is to build teams that are, friends decades after they've worked together, um, you know, and are still sort of like involved in each other's lives or, or whatnot. Um, and it's not because work is family or any of that. It's because you've built something where people just like really enjoy spending that, spending that time together. Um, but I think that, well, I think about it a lot as a leader and as somebody planning an offsite, the way that it, uh, comes across to the team is just like, wow, this team is really great. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the only survey question you need at the end of it. If you hear people <laughs> saying that, then you know it was successful. <laughs> what what does an offsite uh, typically look like for you? Yeah, so um, an offsite is I've done offsites for a wide variety of, of sort of situations, right? So for whole departments um, and for smaller, you know, engineering product design leads, right? Three people to 50 people sort of um, sort of thing. I'll take it, I think the most typical one is sort of like a team or maybe two teams. So like that 10 to 20 person, um, 10 to 20 person offsite. You know, I think that uh, it needs a good agenda, um, one that is not too packed, but not too open. I think that there is a tendency for folks to either have like um, a hangout offsite where it's just like, oh, we'll just bring people together. They'll be in the same space and therefore like everyone will love each other by the end and be friends and blah, blah, blah. Or um, you frequently get the like, we have so much to do. This is the only time that we can get people together. And so it's going to start at 830 in the morning and it's going to end at six. And we're going to go right from the agenda into a team dinner and into an evening activity. And so, you know, you end up having like an 830 a.m. to like a 10 p.m. day for three days in a row or whatever it is. Right. Um, So it's what what I sort of suggest and what I'm looking for is somewhere in the middle, right? Um, so you recognize sort of what are the main friction points? What are the things that need to happen in person with this group together? Um, but then you have enough sort of like breaks and downtime. And in those breaks and downtime, you're sprinkling in um, like ways for people to connect with one another, ways for folks to not just migrate towards the people that they that they already know or the people that they've sort of always hung out with. Um, 
And I will say the other thing that I always do is really, I think that every aspect of an offsite should be looking to create deeper connections between individuals. And sometimes that happens through fun and sometimes that happens through sessions. Um, how it doesn't happen is when session after session is just sort of a presentation, a presentation, a presentation with a, any questions, uh, you know, yeah. the 10 minutes for any questions at the end. Um, but I think that, you know, you can design business sessions, um, you know, alignment sessions, et cetera, in ways that are really engaging in ways that encourage small group discussion, large group discussion, a whole bunch of different uh, modalities and ways to sort of get folks talking. And all of those create deeper connections. You don't just have to be like having fun. And I mean, those sessions can be fun. I've done like, I've done some sessions about communication or alignment or whatever that have been very fun. Um, but yeah, I think that those are sort of the main, the main components to look for in an offsite. Let me go a step back. Um, we have uh, clients that I mean, ourselves, Herring and I, we, we've done this uh, when the company had a specific structure that, that made sense. Uh, when we transition, well, I mean, the part of the company that transitioned to staff augmentation, uh, we do it with only uh, the people that, are, that help us run the business. I mean, with, with, the, with the people that we hire to run the business. So that makes sense. Um, and then we have clients in the staff augmentation side of the business where we have some some clients that bring the remote developers that we bring them and um so, so they call all the developers let's say in panama uh, i mean most of the developers are in brazil so uh the, the company make an offsite in panama so all the developers in brazil comes to panama and then we have an offsite there uh it is so i and I seen have seen a, a great a great value in aligning goals and communicating direction and leadership uh, uh, in those events. So let me establish my question. My question is: for those companies that still don't do offsites <laughs> in in currently, so what's what's the value of doing offsites? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, there are tons of values for offsites. And I think this is a really interesting, uh, it's an interesting question because I think that right now with budget concerns, I think that offsites are, there's more people working remotely post, you know, post COVID because a lot of companies that weren't remote before went remote or more remote hybrid during COVID and, you know, are not, doing return to office. Um, so I think there are more remote and distributed teams. And I think that when you're looking at a budget, it's really easy to be like, do we really need that offsite? It feels like the offsite is just a way for folks to get together and hang out. And there are a lot of companies where like, if you don't put enough thought and time and effort into what an offsite looks like, it is really hard to measure the impact. It is really hard to measure the results. You know, if you think about, I don't know a single company that after the offsite, they'll do like a post offsite survey that gets a sense of like, if people enjoyed what they learned, what their most favorite part was, least favorite part was, et cetera, for the purpose of planning and making the next offsite better. But I, I don't think frequently companies look at like, well, what came out of that offsite? Are there action plans? Are there deliverables? Like what were the what were the goals? What were the actual outcomes that that make it worthwhile for for the business? So um, I think one, if you get more granular on the goals and you know what what you want the deliverable to be, what you want the outcome to be, what is again that friction point that you want to make sure that your team is aligned on, um, I think those are definitely value the value of having an offsite. Um, and then, you know, the the other pieces, there are all sorts of statistics about like teams that work together are more productive, teams that, you know, are more connected to one another, have lower, uh, lower churn, have higher retention, um, et cetera. But I think it's interesting because right now, more remote companies, less 
offsites or offsites are being cut from budgets. And I think that it's right now it feels okay. And I think that companies that are doing that in, in six or eight months, they're going to see fragmentation. They're going to see churn. They're going to see folks that just aren't sort of as they're going to see teams not functioning as productively and as well as they could be because they are not having these regular touch points that reconnect them to each other, to their team, to the department, to the company as a whole. Because you can do that virtually. And I've I've done virtual offsites. I think that virtual offsites don't have to suck. It's a lot of like, ugh. I once talked to somebody about a virtual offsite and they were like, I feel like it's a punishment. Is this a punishment? And I'm like, no, no. Like, virtual offsites don't have to feel like a punishment. Um, so you can do it virtually, but it'll be interesting if companies sort of regret cutting that out of their budget in the future. Well, I will argue that if their company is going towards remoteness, the outfits become way more important, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. is, are, the, are the opportunity to actually connect, <laughs> I mean, to in person? I mean, it is. Now, uh, can you tell us a, a, a small, uh, a short list of goals a company can have for an offsite? Yeah. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I think a goal should always be create deeper connections between individuals, right? right? That should be like, and, and things should be structured in a way that, that makes that, that makes that happen and not in like the, oh, we'll do icebreakers and that will like solve our problem because icebreakers, Mm -hmm. icebreakers help people know each other's names. Um, but they don't frequently sort of go, go deeper than that, right? We're not talking about sort of surface level connections. We're talking about deeper connections between, between one another. Um, you know, I think common goals are things like, uh, recognize our team's communication style and figure out ways that we want to improve it. Um, come up with our team's charter norms and values, uh, understand what our, Q2, H2, depends on the frequency that you do offsites, but sort of like understand um, company objectives and goals and how our team, department, segment, et cetera, how we connect with that company-wide goal and what that looks like for us. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing that I've frequently done is if we've had to get on the same page about like on-call expectations or how we triage, uh, how we triage incoming bugs, right? And wanting to make that a group conversation and not just sort of a decision that's made by one person. An offsite is a great way to sort of to understand that. Um, And then also product prioritization. So I, you know, if you're in a spot where sort of you can have some, some bottom up ideas, in addition to maybe sort of top down, like these are, you know, the features that we want to build or whatever, I think offsites are really great place to be able to to brainstorm a little bit and talk about, um, you know, ideally engineering is bringing product and design sort of into either all of the days or some of those days of that of that offsite. Um, and there is often a, a really great session um, where there's sort of a brainstorm and maybe a little bit of a discussion around uh, impact and effort for each of those things. And it sort of lays the groundwork, maybe not for the most immediate next quarter or half, but it plants the seeds for the plan after that. So you're not even just talking about like, okay, what is going to kick off in the next week or month, but you're also um, a great goal for an offsite is sort of like, okay, and let's set the framework and the groundwork for what we want to be doing six months from now. Building custom WebRTC video applications is hard, but your go live doesn't have to be stressful. We thought we were ready to launch our video application, but we discovered it's a lot harder than we thought. Live video applications are not like building other web or mobile apps. Our team worked hard out there today, but we just didn't have all the right pieces. I'll tell you what we should have done. We should have brought in the live video experts from WebRTC Ventures. If you're building a live video application, then trust the experts at webrtc.ventures to help you design, build, test, deploy, and manage your custom-built application or integrate live video into your existing application. Contact us today at webrtc.ventures. I love it. I love it. 
I really like the, um, uh, I think a theme I caught there and items you were talking about is keeping it fairly high level. Um, mm -hmm. And so like when you, you mentioned like values and, you know, determining the, our company values and uh, things like that. I mean, to me, if, if somebody called a, a virtual meeting and said, hey, we're going to spend an hour Friday afternoon talking about values, I might wonder if it is punishment, right? It, it, but if they say, hey, we're going to do an offsite, we're going to, you know, as our team has, we're going to meet up in Panama City, we're going to take a fun boat ride, we're going to go out to lunch, and then we're going to have a conversation about values, right? That sounds a lot more attractive to me, not just because there was maybe a boat ride in advance, but because that activity created, you know, a um, a more a, a more open and and sort of casual atmosphere within the team, right? Especially as you mentioned, and this is the case with our teams too. Whenever we've done one of these, there are always people meeting for the first time in person, right? Uh, whether they're meet, sometimes we do this with clients, so they might be meeting their clients in person for the first time. They're probably meeting some of their teammates for the first time. David and I are probably meeting some of them for the first time in person too. We've, you know, there've been times where we've worked remotely with people for, uh, you know, more than a year before ever seeing them in person, right? So <clears throat> having that opportunity to do a social activity, to sort of break the ice a bit in an informal way, and then be able to come together and do kind of a brainstorming activity. So, you know, I, I would say like, you know, our goals, I guess I would suggest, I'm curious, you know, if, if you agree, Allison, our goals shouldn't be something like really down in the weeds of like, all right, let's figure out our, our GitHub branching strategy. Um, maybe that's too detailed. Maybe that's too technical a thing, but talking about our overall roadmap prioritization, like you said, or values or getting feedback from grassroots, you know, up, up into leadership. I really like that sort of focus for these types of conversations. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that it depends on how many, it depends on how many days the offsite is. Cause I do think that you can have a session where you say like, okay, we're going to have one 45 minute block that, you know, we're going to have a bunch of whiteboards and we're going to dive deeply into something like deeply technical that we have to figure out who has ideas for, you know, we want to have, two or three options for that session, who has ideas for what, what that could or should be. The nice thing about doing just like a time box chunk of something like that at an offsite is that there will be people at the offsite that are frequently not included in those meetings or conversations when they happen virtually. And so it's a really great um, knowledge. I like to sort of infuse various ways of also doing knowledge sharing. Um, and so it's a, it's a nice way to sort of like infuse that, that knowledge sharing because there will be people there and you can do it in a way where you're like, cool, we're going to have three projects. We're going to have 45 minutes. And then the last 10 minutes, each group is going to pick someone and just sort of walk through like, how far they got, what they like, what questions they uncovered, um, you know, what like did they figure out there was like, oh, actually, if we want to do this, this piece is really gnarly. And so we need to de-risk that up front, right? And so they're sort of then presenting to the rest of the group, also probably something that wouldn't happen um, in like your regular day to day. So you can get in the weeds. It should be like limited, but it can also be done in really like Again, interesting ways that deepen connections and deepen understanding between individuals and between the team. I, I, I really want to go soon to the engineering team health audit, but this topic is so fascinating. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, um, when Erin and I do the offsites, uh, we've discovered that, I mean, there is a lot of value in the official um, Yeah, in the in the structured uh, activities, um, and what we've discovered also is that there is a lot of value when we ourselves, Herring and I, become available in an unofficial way, so they can so I mean they can approach us, and we we, we can have a very informal conversation about a, a topic that they care about a lot. I mean, someone can can come close. And, and we can have a very informal conversation where where they can see the angle that maybe we weren't able to express 
in in the structure event or the structure dynamic. Uh, so I I mean that part is very valuable for us. I mean it is that that connection and that ability to actually see the human side of ourselves um, is is fantastic. Um, now <laughs> she mentioned something uh, some minutes ago about introverts. Mm -hmm. And myself, I consider an, an well, an ambivert, mostly an introvert. I mean, I can force my, I can will myself to be an extrovert, <laughs> uh, but it's not easy. Uh, and in the sense that once I finish all the extroversion part, I have to go to my room and decompress. <laughs> <laughs> but some people is not able to do that. Uh, and and in our team, we have a lot of introverts. I mean, uh, well, a healthy amount of introverts. Uh, it's, it's never been a challenge, but how how do you help introverts in this very extrovert activity? <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Okay. So uh, I've, I have two things. Um, one is mm. about sort of during structured activities and one mm. is about during mm. unstructured activities. Mm. Um, so in structured activities, uh, it, it is really important to think about different people and what different people and different personality types will be able to, to bring to the table. Um, so I do a couple of things first, like frequently at the beginning of the offsite, we'll come up with, we'll spend 20 minutes doing like a offsite contract, which usually includes things like, like, you know, screens, computers closed, you know, try to like stay off phones. Mm -hmm. um, and a common one that comes up or that I like is two people speak before one person speaks again. Um, and so that's helpful because it creates, uh, it creates more space for introverts because um, mm -hmm. they don't feel like they have to jump into the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one. The second is that I love to do and suggest doing different different pieces of a goal where you're sort of maybe you start with like a quiet post-it noting time, right? And everybody sort of puts post-its up with thoughts and then you group those together and then you use those groupings to sort of have the next piece of the conversation. And so you can have a mix of quiet thinking post-it time, uh, you know, all together there's a um, there's this one, I don't remember exactly how it goes right now, but there's there are interesting methodologies also where you sort of, you know, you have like, you write a problem statement on the top of a piece of paper and then you, you know, it's a quiet exercise and you pass it to the person on your left and then they write a challenge and then you pass it to the person on the left and then they write, you know, solutions to that challenge and then they pass it. So there are lots of different, um, again, sort of like modalities, approaches, really, um, creative ways of thinking about how you do stuff. Maybe you post it and then you have a discussion in small groups of three to four before you bring it to the large group discussion of 10. And each group talks like, oh, here are the main ideas that I talked about. So as long as you have sort of in whatever structured activities you do, having a mix of approaches and ways, I think that's a really good, um, a really good way to make sure that introverts aren't getting uh, bowled over by any extroverts in the in the room so that's for structured activities mm -hmm. for unstructured activities um i personally really dislike the like we're just gonna hang out and do whatever right because i think that it just feels really awkward and some people are great with that and they'll walk around to everybody in the room and they'll insert themselves into different conversations and they'll meet everyone and it'll be great i think for other people they tend to like stick with the one or two people that they know, or they end up sort of like, uh, you know, just sort of standing awkward, like hoping that somebody else will like come up to them and start, or maybe hoping that nobody comes up to them and starts talking. So, you know, even in those sort of uh, unstructured times, I like to give a little bit of direction, right? Like here are three questions that you should try to ask to three people, um, you know, and things that really sort of like, strike up conversations, or maybe you start that unstructured time with some small group, you know, if you have high top tables or something, you start that experience with 
something that puts people into small groups so that when you go into sort of the like free form, like hangout time, folks have at least connected with a small number of people. Um, and so it just makes it less, less awkward, less, uh, I don't know, it, it sort of, I, I always like, I try as hard as possible not to use the word icebreaker because I think that people are like <laughs> allergic to the word icebreaker. Um, but it just helps people get to know each other a little bit so that they can, you know, continue conversations and and sort of continue from there. Um, and I've done, it depends on the group. I've done ones that are like, you know, I've done, I've had groups that really love the, you know, I'll give them like a find someone who board um, which is like a piece of paper that has find someone who with all of these different sort of characteristics and they have to find someone and write that person's name in that box. Um, and, you know, it gives people a way to walk up to someone and be like, can you like, can I write your name in any of these boxes? Um, and I've had groups that are like, please, please don't make me do that. That sounds awful. Uh, and so for them, you know, we do, like, do something a little, a little different. Um, so it depends on the, it depends on the group, but I always, even for like freeform stuff, I love having some sort of like mission that is suggested, maybe not required, but like suggested. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Don't push them. I mean, don't push an introvert. I mean, is the worst <laughs> strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Is your mindfulness about this is fantastic. It's great. Great. Um, maybe can we, maybe we can switch to the, to the engineering team health audit. I, there is, when I was reading about the way, I mean, the, 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 the things that you do there, uh, there is one thing that caught my eye. I mean, it's for Erin and I, it's, it's quite important. It's about um, um, uh, help, help to determine uh, a staffing strategy. Mm. Uh, for us, it's quite important because when we engage with a new client or with someone that wants to be a client of us, um, a good time, we spend a good time determining if that person actually needs the people that they say they need. <laughs> uh, it's, it's quite important because if, if not, we are engaging in a situation where uh, we, uh, we were building structures and relationships that later we have to destroy. Uh, so we want to be sure that actually they need that many people. <laughs> so, so how do you go about that? Yeah. Yeah. So when I do, um, when I am looking at an engineering team and sort of trying to figure out the, you know, health of that team, there mm -hmm. are, um, so there are a few sort of like aspects that I look at and each of the aspects mm -hmm has a, a bunch of stuff that goes into it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, turnover risk and what happens, um, what happens when turnover happens. Does turnover feel uh, chaotic or not? Um, good code review quality, uh, prioritization clarity, how well do engineers know not just what they should be working on, but why and how prioritization is happening. Um, healthy team dynamics. We talked about this a bunch uh, before, but it's, you know, verbal communication, written communication, dynamics in meetings, et cetera, um, and, and low cycle time. So those are the, those are the things that I look at. And, you know, I think that when you really sort of dive into those aspects, you can tell, you can tell what the gaps are. You can tell if it's like, okay, there are enough people here, but there are number of inefficiencies in the in the process. Um, prioritization clarity is a great one to talk about here because engineers frequently deal with so many incoming streams of requests, right? They have bugs, they have refactors, they have tech debt, they have customer support requests, they have like they often have someone in leadership or like someone who's maybe in their DMs asking for something. Um, you know, and so that's a place where that can I think frequently make an engineering team look slower or look like there need to be more people, but it's actually that there are uh, inefficiencies within that process or, um, you know, with 
turnover, there's one person who is the go-to person for a specific area of the code base and nobody else knows anything there, right? So it's sort of about knowledge sharing and what's, you know, how the how the team does that. So I think it's about looking at how healthy a, a team is and figuring out like, okay, or good code review quality, right? Like, oh, there's code review quality is about not shipping bugs and about shipping maintainable code. It's also about the conversation that happens in that code review. And if they're collaborative and if people are learning and if people are growing through through that. And so, you know, when figuring out sort of what the gaps are, maybe they don't have someone who has the skill set or the or the time to provide good code review. And therefore, a lot of the code review of the team is like a looks good to me with a thumbs up sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all of those different aspects can help really diving into those can help reveal um, what the gaps are. And then for staffing purposes, right, who who needs to fill that? Can it be a, a junior engineer because you're mostly looking for this sort of non-technical skill? Does it need to be a senior staff engineer? You know, what, again, we talked sort of about the puzzle pieces of teams before. What's the kind of person that needs to go into that team? Sometimes it's a person in staffing. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's a habit that needs to be formed. Um, you know, the, the solution to make going bringing something from, let's say, red to green of one of those aspects is, it can be a whole bunch of different approaches. It sounds like you need to really embed with the team for a little while to to get a full assessment of these things when you're doing a team audit. Can you talk a little bit about that process of how you engage with a client? Yeah. Um, you know, usually I ask the client to just sort of like give me access to all the thing. I try to just be a fly on the wall. Um, but yeah, it does involve sort of you know, attending a handful of meetings to see what the dynamic is there, looking at, you know, being in Slack, looking at that communication, seeing the process of how things go. Um, You know, sometimes pulling in, I don't sort of like talk to everybody on the leadership team or everybody on the engineering team. I don't think that that's totally necessary, but it is about, you know, pulling in different people. Um, And not to say like, how do you think prioritization clarity is? How do you think the team dynamic is? But to ask them questions about, you know, like what feel like the most painful parts of your uh, of your workflow, of your process? Um, what if you could, you know, wave a magic wand and make something better? What's, you know, what's the number one thing that you would make better? And you can sort of see through a couple of key conversations and all the other things that are happening, you can see the patterns and the flows and you can sort of get a sense of um, what's going on and how to, when I do this, it's fashioned into a report, right? So what that report needs to say that can be really helpful to, you know, to the executive that I'm giving it to. And is this something you would do kind of before or after an offsite, perhaps? Is there a, you know, a, a relationship between those or, or is this something you would do on, say, an annual basis or you could do on a regular basis for a company? What's the sort of cadence? Yeah, I think it depends. You know, some companies like doing this as sort of a, um, a discovery. Some investors like doing this as sort of like a pre-investment. Okay, where is this team at? What's, you know, what's going on here. I think that it could, you know, be a really if a if a team is trying to figure out. So the the way that I help people with offsites is that I I don't usually come in and facilitate them. I can be a facilitator, but for me it's really about supporting the individuals to make sure that they can execute their really amazing offsite but taking big chunks of that work and that time off of their off of their plate and then handing back handing it back to them to do so. Um, so, you know, if a team comes to me and they have enough time before their offsite, you know, this might be a really good way and they're not sure what to focus on during the offsite. This might be a really good way to get a really clear snapshot and picture of where the team is at in order to figure out what the best agenda is for, for that offsite. What are the things they really want to talk about, do a session on, hit on, you know, make sure, make sure come up. Um, so yeah, I think it comes up in all all sorts of different uh, different circumstances. Excellent. We, we are running out of time. Um, I want to touch briefly about uh, 
say, I mean, very briefly because um, a lot <laughs> There's of- There's so much more we could talk just about. Right, <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but uh, you also um, work as a, fra- can w- you could work as a fractional VP of engineering. Uh, it's, I mean, you know, a few comments, how, how does it work? Yeah. Um, yeah. So fractional VP of engineering is a great option. It works in a couple of ways, either when a company is going through sort of a leadership transition and they need someone who has like seen it before, done it before that can just sort of like plug in really easily to, to make sure things keep going, to make sure that, you know, their engineers to make sure velocity doesn't slow down to make sure their engineers don't sort of like feel the pain that a leadership transition can can be. Um, and the other time that it happens is when, you know, the founders or when, um, you know, they're great at shipping code, they're great at being a startup CTO, uh, maybe don't have that sort of depth of management experience. And they're finding that things are falling through the cracks or there's just like there's, there's too much on their plate. Um, or frequently, you know, they want to stay more in the code and they keep getting pulled into people stuff, process stuff, cross departmental, and they just like, it's, it's not, they've done it a little bit. It's not what they, it's not what they love doing. Um, those are, those are the places that I can, uh, that usually fractional VP of engineering is super useful. Um, and also thinking about, you know, fractional VP of engineering is usually a, a point in time um, sort of engagement. Uh, and so the goal is to, you know, ideally that the company will grow enough that they will need a full-time VP of engineering, um, in which case having somebody who's there on a fractional basis is really, really helpful because it's really painful to make a VP of engineering miss hire. And there are so many different flavors of like a VP of engineering or CTO. You want to make sure that you, again, the puzzle piece that you know the kind of person that you're hiring for, what their skills need to be strong in, what the team needs and having somebody who is there on a fractional basis um, can help frame that write that job description, you know, even sometimes review resumes and do like initial conversations with folks to make sure that you are getting the right person in the door. That's going to be a really great long-term fit for your company. Yeah. Looking at it as a point in time, I think is really interesting because that's where I've kind of encountered a need for this type of role. Like for us as a, as a services company, there've been times where we're working with a startup client and, they, they don't have a technical co-founder yet, perhaps, right? And you could probably find 100 meetups just this weekend on find your technical co-founder, right? I feel like there's so many of those out and it's difficult to find a technical co-founder. So to be able to say, you know, we've had people ask ask us, you know, would you be like my, my fractional CTO, my interim CTO until I get funding or until this? And I think it's a really, really hard thing to do. I mean, in, in, in my case, I... I turn those down because I have a job and I can't really, <laughs> it's, it, it's hard to do that and give it justice. Right. So I think having people who have the right mindset about it and can dedicate themselves to that, I think is super important because there are companies who need that. And I, I think it's an incredibly important role. I mean, in sports, you hear about like interim head coaches, turnaround head coaches who come in specifically in certain types of situations and they don't want the long-term job. They're there for six months or a year, and then they, they're trying to pass it along to somebody else, but in a better situation than they received it, perhaps, right? And I think that's that's a really interesting aspect of this type of role. Yeah, I think it also allows, you know, it's an interesting, the difference between sort of maybe like a technical co-founder and like a, you know, fractional, some fractional CTOs, repeats are building and shipping, but it also, it allows you to sort of separate those two things and engage with you know, one person who's just focused on building and shipping the the product and is heads down in the code and working with somebody else who's really helping to think about like the engineering strategy, who the first three, four hires are, what that looks like, uh, you know, how to build the, the foundation for, for how to build the foundation for a really strong team that's also going to enable you to get funding, right? Because investors like seeing, I mean, engineering teams are the backbone of a lot of these companies. So funders, uh, they want to see strong engineering teams that seem um, 
not put together in like a haphazard way, but put together really sort of mindfully and thoughtfully. Um, and so, you know, engaging it, it also allows you to separate sort of like, okay, I need somebody who can build and ship and be heads down in the code a lot versus like somebody who's thinking about sort of the strategy of the company and where engineering and, and engineering as a part of a larger ecosystem is, is going and what they're working towards. Absolutely. I really, I really appreciate the, the, the mindful and thoughtful approach you've brought to this team building discussion in, in many facets uh, today. David, do you have any final questions for Allison before we wrap up? Hundreds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have so many more offsite stories I want to share, but. <laughs> uh, not for now. I would love to, uh, 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 have Halison for our next episode uh, in the future. I mean, it will be yeah, fun. yeah, we'd love to speak yeah. with you again, Allison. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Mm-hmm. How can our listeners get in touch with you? Um, listeners can find me. This is, you know, I made a mistake. Who knew that Twitter was going to be Twitter and that I should have established a social media handle one for all the platforms. I did not. (laughs) Um, so, so, uh, the best way to find me is, uh, on my website, which is allisonmcmillan.com. Um, and you can find my emails and my socials. You can also book a free consultation if you sort of want to uh, chat about any of my services or anything that's going on with um, with your company. You can book a free consultation there. Uh, so yeah, that's the best place to go. And it links to all of my other things. That'll point to everything else. So we'll be sure to put allisonmcmillan.com uh, in the show notes for this episode. Uh, and uh, Allison, thank you again for joining us on the Scaling Tech Podcast. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the Scaling Tech Podcast, where we help you manage your growing engineering team. Brought to you by agilityfeet.com, experts in staffing engineering teams in Latin America for clients globally. For more information on today's episode and to submit your ideas for future guests, please visit scalingtechpod.com.